Beautiful song, amen? amen? Today's scripture will be found in Psalms 19. We will be reading the whole thing. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their, <clears throat> where their voice is not heard. The voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. He rises at one end of the heavens and makes his circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from his heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinance of the ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive him. Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, blameless innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to your sight. O Lord, my rock and redeemer. I don't know what to tell you about the next few weeks, except that I honestly believe you don't want to miss them. I have had quite a summer. And the stories that are going to come out of these experiences I've had this summer, I can't really wait to share with you. And it's not like grade school where I get to say, I went to the Grand Canyon, and how nice that is. It's the kind of story in which experience, observation, inspiration, understanding of history, self, and scripture, and these sort of things come together in a way that I think won't be about me. It'll be about God. And I don't think you're going to want to miss the story because I'm not going to do these again. These are unique. These themes are going to come and go, and two of them will be intensely personal. They will be about my call and my election and stories of the grace of God in ways that I had never known or experienced it prior to this summer. So I'm anxious, and I wait the time when I get to roll those out for you here. September, maybe as much as 1st of October. Today I want to talk about experiences that come out of a trip I took actually with my wife. She had continuing education classes to take, but some free time built in. And I had the opportunity to go as a tag along and make a retreat of it. And so I did. We went to Banff, Canada, via Calgary. The trip itself, that is to say the journey there and back, unremarkable. 
we landed in Calgary and largely due to a young man we had met while in El Salvador decided to visit his college, Canadian Union College, north of Calgary several hours. Seemed like it was going to be a worthwhile drive. We didn't really get to meet administrators or look at programs. I had hoped that in some way or another my son would eventually get exposed to all 12 of the Adventist colleges and universities in North America so that he might uh, make choices down the road uh, that suited him. But we went to the campus, saw that they too have a Chunshan Science Center. God bless that man, family, foundation. They have built science centers at Pacific Union College, uh, I think lots of places. I can't begin to name them all. And I may be taking drinks from time to time because we are in the smoke zone in Glendale. My house is a couple miles from the fire. And I have been breathing um, low-quality air for a couple of days now. After getting up to, not quite Edmonton, but up to the college and coming back down through some very beautiful territory around Red Deer and down along the mountains there, going up into Banff, which is south of Jasper uh, and Jasper National Forest, we were uh, solidly in the Canadian Rockies. Now, I don't know if you have ever spent time in the Canadian Rockies, but it rivals anything we've got here. I, I personally think I like uh, the Tetons in Wyoming, best of all the mountain ranges I've ever seen. To me, they're the most dramatic, the most beautiful. But I have to tell you, who doesn't love Yellowstone or Yosemite or any of the great, Shenandoah and Valley National, any of the national parks, they're extraordinary. Joshua Tree and Grand Canyon, and I mean, beauty in different forms and ways. But in the Rockies, it's all about granite. It's all about glaciers. It's all about turquoise lakes filled with the flower of rock that has been ground down by those glaciers to such a fine powder that it won't settle readily to the bottom of the lake. You can't see but a couple of inches into this cold and fresh water. In Banff, we did things people do in a little town. Found a favorite coffee shop, cooked in the little place we stayed, drove around, tried to take in some local sites, hiked trails and prayed that we wouldn't ever see a grizzly bear up close. I longed to see one, but from afar. They are fearsomely beautiful creatures. And uh, I would welcome a 200-yard view, I think, with a car close by. Uh, I don't want the round the bend and there's the baby and there's the mama experience. That is just not for me. Excuse me. So, um, we did a lot of hiking. We drove up to Lake Louise. Ever heard of Lake Louise? Ever been there? How many have been to Lake Louise? You know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, at Lake Louise, there's a trail around the lake and it's deceptive because they put... I don't know, 3.7 miles or whatever, and you're going to take this trail, and you think, oh, I can do this. It's paved, for crying out loud. 
So you start out, and yes, the first mile is paved. And then it turns into a mud trail that winds up to a rock trail, and pretty soon you're walking along the edge of cliffs and going up terrain you hadn't quite counted on. And eventually, if you stay with it, you'll end up at a little cabin built in 1922 where they helicopter in supplies to feed people lunch there. I think sandwiches and tea were about 80 bucks for four of us, but well worth it because of the experience of the, of the grandeur and the beauty of the views and the rain on our faces nearly the whole time while we hiked. The psalm we just read, Psalm 19, speaks to the voice of God in nature. <clears throat> so this fabulous experience is, is mirrored in Scripture because what I have been through is what you have been through, and it's nothing new. I can't come back from a place like Banff or Lake Louise or any of these gorgeous places in the Canadian Rockies. I cannot. And give you inspiration that you haven't already received yourself as you've encountered the glories and the beauties of nature. And the questions that come to us as we encounter the glories and beauties of nature. Because the forces at work to create these are fearsome forces indeed. When you have glaciers 1,000 feet thick, the ice is so strong, even on the surface as you melt it, that if you put your bare hands down in the snow and try to drink, it will cut your, your hands. If you chip it with an axe and are not wearing protective gear, the flakes that fly off will cut you like glass. The ice is so dense from the compact uh, weight of that water and the millennia that have gone by that it's indescribable. And as it moves down the mountain, it takes no prisoners. It grinds solid granite into little tiny fragments of pieces called flour. And it's every bit as fine as the flour you buy milled at the store. Pure rock turned to dust, turned to nothing by water, frozen compacted over time. You look at these granite cliffs and, and uh, the ridges that rise and the forces of nature that had to exist to create these. We're talking about the collision of continents. We're talking about land masses colliding and, and forcing pressure so great I can't begin to comprehend it. When I lift a granite stone this big, it's about all I can do to lift it. A granite stone this big is easily over 50 pounds. A little bit bigger and it's, it's much heavier, over 100. It's so dense. And we're not talking, that's one of the small little insignificant pebbles on these hills. We're talking half dome times two. Huge granite walls and cliffs and structures the forces that put those in place. And the psalmist describes these forces, not in terms of the mountains that have been formed, but in terms of the power of nature and the way in which it speaks to us of a God who created all things, as our Sabbath school lesson alluded to in John chapter 1, specifically said in John chapter 1 today. Through him, all things were created that have been made. 
And so the creator God is sung a hymn to in Psalms because David, the psalmist, and many other psalmists recognize that the experience of nature can be very close to an experience of God. Not that God is nature, not in some pantheistic weird sense, but in the sense that, as he says, the heavens do truly declare the glory of God. You have not seen stars if you have not been out of L.A. or Santa Clarita or this area. You have not seen stars in years if you've not really been away. I have to admit that on a clear night in Glendale, it's better than L.A. And on a clear night in Santa Clarita, it's better than Glendale. And on a clear night in Fraser Park, it's better than all of these places. But it doesn't touch being in a place where there are few automobiles and you are hundreds of miles from cities. And at night, the panoply of stars is so dense, you're just amazed because you've forgotten what the heavens really look like. And in the psalmist times, there were no polluting things. They, uh, They may have had occasional forest fires or raging fires. Certainly, they built wood fires to cook and so forth, so there would have been that kind of haze or pollution, if you will. But no automobiles, no diesel trucks, no diesel trains, no industrial complexes to speak of. At night, the heavens would have sang and sang out loudly and clearly and spoken to a majesty that transcends our daily experience and our daily way. I like this phrase in verse 2. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. That goes right back to the heavens declaring the glory of God. The wisdom and power of nature is that it points to the wisdom and power of the one who made it. And so I can only vicariously say, I experienced God in the beauty of what I saw, in the ruggedness of what I saw, in the quantity and the grandeur of what I saw, in a way that I've not experienced God in a long time. Because it's a glory and a, a beauty and a scale. Lewis, you were there. Am I, am I coming close? Truly, truly spectacular, glorious place to be, speaking of God. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard, and their voice goes out into all the world. We need to hear this voice. We need to pay attention again in our lives out of the busyness, the industrialized way in which we congregate and mobilize and live, out of the cities in which we make our livelihoods and pitch our tents, so to speak, there is a grandeur that has a voice. And it's a voice of a creator God. And what we often hear in the cities is a voice of a redeemer God but we mustn't lose what's available to us still in the beauty of this world. You can't help but sing a hymn in your head to the glory of God as you see some of these places and as you experience it. 
well, I don't know if you'll get there anytime soon or ever, and there is beauty locally to be had for sure, but I just wanted to give you this as a sub-theme. The title of today's talk is Lessons from Calgary. And the second half of the psalm directs us more to that side of things. We chose to spend an extra day at the end of our time in the city itself. It's always expensive. It's always uh, difficult because if it happens to be a weekend, a lot of stuff you want to see isn't open. But I always try to do that. I always try to give myself an extra day somewhere so that I can explore the city. Because I, as much as I love nature, I also love cities. I love to see what people have done in design, in architecture, in the way they live, in the communities that they form, in the kinds of shops that they frequent, in the local cuisines. And we had gotten to Calgary the week before just after Stampede. Anybody know what Stampede is? It's where about 300,000 crazy drunk rednecks who love rodeos show up in Calgary. I'm just being silly. Not all rednecks. And go to rodeos and experience this on a scale. It's really cool, actually. Now, Calgary residents get tired of all the, the busyness and the traffic and the headache and whatever, so a lot of them rent out their places to the crazy people coming in and, and go away for the week. But Stampede is world famous, and it's an incredible event, and we arrived just in time to miss it. And when we got there a week later, things had really quieted down. But we took time and went out to the Olympic Park. How many of you know what year the Olympics were in Calgary, and was it summer, summer or winter? Winter and when? 88, bingo. The 88 Olympics were in Calgary. Now, this was a revelation to me. The entire Olympic hill there is just that. It's a little hill. Seriously. I was so shocked. You know, I expected the Swiss Alps or something like, you know, these gigantic mountains with these huge ski lifts and so forth and so on. No. It's a hill. And in the summer, they use it as a mountain biking uh, course. But I took time. You have to pay for everything. I mean, it's $6 to, to go up. I took time to go to the top of the hill and go to the Olympic ski jump area. Now, I don't know if you remember Howard Cosell and the agony and the ecstasy thing with the guy coming down the ski ramp and just wiping out. And the rumor, of course, was that he was killed instantly. And it looked like he had to have died doing that. You remember that, right? It was just spectacular crash on one of these uh, uh, ski jumps. He didn't die. He was fine. Um, but more or less. I, I, psychologically, I can't say. All I can tell you is that we went to the place where they do this. And my body ached, physically ached, looking down that ramp. What I never really computed being from the English side of things and not terribly literate in the metric system, I know intellectually that a meter is about a yard, a little more than. But I never connected 90 meters to the height of something. Let me be explicit. These people are 290-some feet up in the air on a ramp going virtually straight down that levels out, sends you flying over about 40 feet of turf before there's a cliff 
that drops 40 feet, and then it levels out in kind of a, that's leveling out, into something that you're supposed to land on two, three hundred yards down from there, and then it gives you a little bowl to come to a stop in, and there are crowds everywhere. I was frozen up there. And I'm a skier. You know, I'm a skier from first grade, kinder, I've skied, and I'm so old that I go back to the days of uh, cable bindings. How about that, huh? Old, I, I'm way back old school skier. I have always watched the Olympics and said, you know, maybe I could do that. <laughs> How hard can this be? Okay, No. I could not do this. And you couldn't either. And what a lesson to be standing in this place with the chain link. By the way, in the summer, they've set it up now with one of those zip lines. And people get going so fast down this that they have to wear a parachute. And even with the parachute, they go 100 miles an hour down this zip line. Now, have you seen the skis these folks put on? They're like water skis. They're this wide, and they're about 12 feet tall. In other words, they're meant to accelerate you beyond all proportion and to act as wings when you finally take air. And they launch you out. I, I just can't even tell you what this was like. If you've been to an Olympic park, maybe you know. All I can say is that this is never where anybody starts. Never. What we saw at the Olympic Park that you don't see when you're watching the games is that there is a 60 meter and a 30 meter and a 10 meter and a little children's thing that ends you up in some sort of puddle somewhere. In other words, you don't start at the 90 meter jump you don't start getting ready to fly 200 yards down a hill with no wings. You don't start where you're going to land in sort of a crotch, uh, crouch thing like this and then try to uh, pull your feet together and come to a stop before you whack half the people in the crowd over. You start in the 10-foot thing that ends you up in a puddle. You walk before you... You, you crawl before you walk, and you walk before you run. There is an intense amount of learning and training and experience. And it's not generic. It's specific to this event, to these games, to these sports. The lesson from Calgary is multiple. And let's look at the last half of our psalm. The last half of the psalm shifts from the heavens declaring to the revealed word. The word of nature to the word of God. Excuse me. The law of the Lord is perfect. And he sings a song to the statutes, precepts, commands the fear of the Lord, the ordinances, all of these are more precious than gold. 
And by, their, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there's reward. We can find no fault in God, but he will forgive my faults, and he will keep me from great transgression. And if at all possible, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart day to day will be pleasing in his sight. We have the inspiration of word made visible in nature. For he spoke and it was. And we have the inspiration of word in revelation for he gave the law to Moses and in other forms as well and revealed himself in Jesus who is the big W word made flesh and dwelt among us. And he promised us that we could end up in a different place than we began. And when you stand at the top of a 90 meter drop, it is a ramp, it has a slope, it's not completely vertical. It appears so from the top. But you realize that that's the finish point. That's the goal. It's not where people we see start. It's not where these athletes of great courage begin. And in the word we find that the training begins now and goes day to day to day to day. It's a step at a time. It's a revelation at a time. It's a reflection of the goodness of God and His grace one at a time. It's a recognition that in Him is life and in him is light, in him is victory, and in him is freedom. But that comes bit by bit as we journey through this life. It comes little by little as we move forward in time. The heavens declare in great grandeur, and the word declares in the person of Jesus. But the lesson from Calgary is that where we end up is not where we start. And that like Paul said, if we're going to finish the race well, we have to discipline ourselves and train ourselves. We start step by step, run to run. And if we go to the ski jump illustration, we start in the one that lands in the mud puddle and we end up on the one that allows us to fly. May the grace of God give us all the courage and the strength and the victories to fly. A word of nature and word of law. A word of redemption. Son of God, Lord of all. Go with us as we listen, as we train, as we walk step by step 
Prepare us for the big jump, for we would fly by your grace. In the name of Jesus, amen.